This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Refugees in Malaysia are only recognised as such through their UNHCR cards, as Malaysia's law does not make any distinctions between refugees and undocumented migrants in the country. However, the Malaysian government did recently introduce the Tracking Refugees Information System, also known as TRIS, for all UNHCR cardholders and asylum seekers in the country to identify their whereabouts in Malaysia. Now, this move has raised um, quite a lot of concerns among refugee rights groups and activists about its necessity, about its implementation. So we want to dive into that. So joining me on the show today is Tam Huying, Executive Director of Asylum Access Malaysia, to discuss the ramifications of this move and really where it stands amongst, you know, what we seem to be seeing increasing securitization of refugees regionally and globally as well. Thank you so much for joining me today, Huying. Thank you so much for having me today. So, you know, I think let's just dive in straight into the TRIS system first, right? Could you break down what TRIS is and how it works for our listeners? Sure. TRIS is actually not something new. Mm -hmm. Um, It's actually been around uh, since 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, really, um, the the sort of key things to know about TRIS is, you know, first of all, looking at the name itself, right? Tracking Refugees Information System. So as the name suggests, uh, it is a government initiative to uh, basically collect personal and uh, biometric information uh, from refugees and asylum seekers in, in, in Malaysia. Um, and, and you know, a lot of the information that I'm, 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 I'm sharing right now is actually uh, available on their, on their website. Um, mm. And so I think just to caveat that, like, you know, we have a lot of questions around it as well. And the information that we, we do have on hand is really from, from the website. Um, so according to the website, um, you know, the, the purpose of, of having uh, TRIS is to, you know, improve and manage the situation of, of refugees. Um, again, um, this is like one question that we'll probably you know, sort of dig into uh, later, um, but also that, you know, the data is um, intended to be included in a national database. Again, we're, we're not sure um, how. And then um, the idea is that after uh, a refugee or seeker sort of registers with Chris, um, they will be provided with what is known as a MyRC card. Um, and the MyRC card is intended to sort of uh, facilitate um, verification uh, by government enforcement agencies. Um, so just to note on the MyRC card, um, the cost is 500 ringgit uh, for the card and it is renewable yearly. Um, the scheme is to be implemented by a third-party company uh, and the, the minister himself has, has, has said that in his announcement. Um, in terms of what information uh, is to be collected, uh, from what we understand, uh, it would be basic, personal and, and biometrics. Um, Although, again, we, we really don't know how the information is going to be utilised. So then the other thing uh, to think about is, you know, what rights uh, or protections come with this card? Um, it isn't sort of uh, apparent uh, what, what protections are there. If you look at the FAQ on the website, it just really talks about minimised risk, possible mm-hmm. work. We're not too sure kind of um, what, uh, what this card, uh, what sort of protections would, would come with this card. In terms of like the process uh, of it, uh, from you know what we gather, um, it, it requires some sort of registration process uh, and some submission into um, some submission and approval uh, by by KDN. 
And this is where we kind of also want to highlight. Um, so on the one hand, it says it's open to refugees and asylum seekers. But then if you look at the requirements, um, it says UNHCR card. And so, um, you know, as we understand, you know, asylum seekers, um, not all, uh, you know, asylum seekers have UNHCR cards, right? So then uh, also kind of, I think, interesting to highlight under the requirements are things like blood group and like water electricity bills. So, you know, just sort of questions around why those sort of documentations, um, you know, would be required. Um, and also including things like particulars of employers. Um, and that's quite concerning because as we know, um, refugees do not have the formal right to work. And mm -hmm. so the question is, then why are you asking for particulars of employers? Um, so um, I think just sort of in a nutshell, um, the things that, that I've shared are things that we sort of know. And as I've mentioned, it's what we're gathering from the website. Um, but like I said, you know, it, we really do have a lot more questions than we do answers. Uh, the website itself contains contradictory information. Um, you know, so just to sort of caution that this is probably something that, that um, you know, happens when we don't have a lot of information and announcements are made sort of... Um, very suddenly, right, um, about this uh, sort of policy. Mm. And I do want to get into sort of the the reasons why the system was implemented. But, you know, like you mentioned, this was, um, this system isn't exactly new, right? It was trialed on a smaller scale um, since 2017. But I, I think a lot of people weren't aware that it has been. So I guess what have we learned about how it was implemented during the trial run? What do we know about it um, from that period? Um, so I I would like to sort of qualify. So in in some ways it's a trial, but it wasn't right. Mm -hmm. um, so if you look at um, the sort of FAQ uh, in two thousand seventeen, or like sort of the announcements that we made during two thousand seventeen, it really gives us a sense of deja vu. Like when I first heard the announcement, because I was like, this is this sounds almost entirely the same, except for this expansion. Mm -hmm. And so the question, as you rightly asked, is like you know what what has changed. And, and I think the answer is we do not know. And that's why it's so concerning, right? Um, because we're talking about something that, um, you know, was long, has been around since 2017 um, and at the time has been plagued with problems. And, um, you know, we're now looking at an expansion of something that is already sort of like uh, is problematic. And we do not know what has been done to address those problems. Uh, on the surface, it feels exactly the same. Uh, and so... You know, the only thing we can infer is that there hasn't been any changes and the problems that existed then still exist uh, now uh, and maybe is uh, amplified by, you know, the current uh, situation uh, or the current circumstances uh, that, you know, refugees and asylum seekers are facing in, in Malaysia. Hmm. So broadly then, you know, before we dive into the details, right, what are your asylum accesses um, concerns about the implementation of such a system nationwide? Yeah, so we um, there are a few concerns and I'll sort of like go through them uh, one by one. But I think um, the overall kind of, like in a nutshell, uh, our big concerns are around uh, the impact of TRIS uh, on the protection environment for refugees and asylum seekers. Um, and, and this is really compounded by the, by the lack of transparency uh, around the entire system. Um, so I think the first and major concern that we have is around safety and security. Uh, of refugees and asylum seekers in Malaysia, right? Um, so as I alluded to earlier, you know, that we, we've seen sort of in the past uh, two years, uh, you know, the, the, the treatment of refugees 
Um, and, you know, in particular, we've seen an increase in targeted rates uh, and arrests, you know, rise in xenophobia, um, really targeted sort of like um, uh, hate um, and, and, and negative sentiments um, against, uh, you know, uh, against refugees and asylum seekers. So in that kind of environment uh, where, you know, um, refugees uh, and asylum seekers are already sort of facing threats around their, their safety and security, um, now, you know, they're being told that like, okay, you know, there's this card that you absolutely have to register for and you have to pay this amount of money for. So there's a sort of sense of coercion uh, around, um, you know, having to be, uh, having to register um, with, with TRIS. You know, there's this whole question around um, what is the intention behind implementing a system like this when we know that refugees and asylum seekers um, are already registered with UNHCR and there is already a system that authorities can utilize um, to verify their status, mm -hmm. but it's not being used, you know. Um, and, and now you're adding to the mix another card that will likely add sort of more confusion. And I think sort of adding to um, sort of building on, you know, what I mentioned about the treatment of refugees um, is this real fear, right? That like right now you're under threat of um, detention and arrest and you're giving up your personal information, right? You know, this, under this system, it's like you can track um, the movement of refugees. What this means is that if we're following the trend, then that means that there can be more targeted raids. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, as you've mentioned earlier, we don't have a legal framework. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing to stop them from saying that like, oh, at the end of the day, refugees are, are undocumented. And so we, we have the right to sort of, we, have, we nevertheless have the right to arrest and detain them. And, you know, we've seen this trend, right, in the past, uh, like the MCO, um, you know, comes very clearly to mind when at the very beginning, the government said, oh, undocumented persons, refugees, asylum seekers can come forward, uh, be tested and treat, treated for, uh, for free. And then there was a U-turn and the data was used against them mm -hmm. to conduct targeted raids and arrests. So, I mean, it's a very real concern and it, we've seen it sort of materialize, right? And so it's not something that's unfounded. Then the other thing to sort of consider as well, um, you know, the fact that there is already this, um, you know, existing sort of UNHCR documents. So what does this mean when you're introducing a new identification document? Um, and and would that undermine the UNHCR documents? Um, you know, what if there are people who um, have UNHCR reg uh, registered documents but, are, uh, but um, have, do not have a MyRC card? Does this mean that um, they will be detained? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is a possibility that they may be, uh, there is that possibility, right? And there is a possibility that they may be sent back, um, uh, you know, deported back to their home country, you know, in breach of non-reform on. Um, so the, all these kind of um, like safety and security risks uh, is like definitely the sort of main uh, thing that comes to mind. Um, in terms of sort of other um, concerns um, that um, we have, so, you know, first of all is, um, you know, back to the, again, you know, the existence of UNHCR documents. So this question of duplication, you know, UNHCR, we know, is an international recognized um, organization um, that, that has the protection mandate, right, mm -hmm. for, for refugees and asylum seekers. So, so why, you know, the question would be like, why is this work being duplicated? Um, especially when um, the registration with TRIS is supposedly dependent on UNHCR status. So mm -hmm. the question is, why are we doing this? What are the resources that are going into this? What, how is the accountability mechanism? And what is the cost of, you know, this duplication? Um, then, you know, talking about costs, the cost of the MyRC card itself, you know, 500 ringgit uh, per year for mm -hmm. an additional card. 
that doesn't really provide you with any additional um, you know, protections. Um, and you know, we're talking about 500 ringgit for refugees um, who do not have uh, access to, to, to work, mm-hmm. right? Who uh, are, are often struggling to make ends meet. Um, and you know who do not have any access to other basic rights like education uh, and, and 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 healthcare, right? Um, so five hundred ringgit may not be much to a Malaysian, right? But like to a refugee, um, it is a significant amount uh, of their pay, and so not everyone's going to 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 be able to afford it. We need to be asking these questions, right? We need to be scrutinizing um, this entire system um, and not just take it at, at face value, you know. Um, so again, you know, back to those who can't afford uh, the cards, then what happens? Do they then just get arrested because they are unable to pay for the card? So then um, I think sort of going back to the earlier point that I made about sort of, um, you know, again, like what rights, what protections do you get under this card? Um, you know, we do know that um, in 2017, uh, of those who sort of registered with interest, we've heard of reports of them nevertheless being arrested. Mm. So clearly, you know, this question of like, is it really going to minimize arrest and detention? It's like if, if authorities that are issuing this card do not recognize the card. So, um, you know, the question is then, like, really what sort of level of protection are you, are you providing? Mm. And I think we really need to go back to, again, um, you know, the lack of a framework, right, to identify refugees. And so you can't have a parallel system in a vacuum, right? Um, like, how do you sort of, like, address all these other existing barriers? You know, how do you ensure that these, these uh, protections that they have are going to be enshrined? Um, so I think that it's just sort of important for us to, to, to think through that as well. Mm. So, and, and, and just to t- uh, briefly yeah. talk about the point you made about how um, we don't know what protection they're getting from this MyRC card, right? So we mm. need further clarification. I, I had a look at the website as well, and it says that having this MyRC could help to, and I quote, minimize the risk of arrest and detention. So, but we need clarification on what exactly that means then, because we have no legal framework to protect refugees. Uh, exactly. Like, it all goes back to that, Right. Um, so take, for example, you know, if uh, like, you know, today um, there's this policy that says, OK, like you might be able to minimize the rest. But what if tomorrow this policy is taken away and trace is taken away? Then does that mean then that refugees and asylum seekers are going to be uh, arrested? Because we go back to the law mm-hmm. and the law says that they are undocumented persons. So you can't, this is what I mean, but you can't just kind of have a parallel uh, sort of uh, system. Like the, at the end of the day, you need, we really, really need to be uh, looking at this fundamental question of, you know, uh, recognizing, having some sort of framework to recognize and provide protection for refugees under our domestic legal framework. Yeah. Mm, all right. Let's go for a quick break now, Hui Ying, and continue our discussion when we come back. I'm speaking today to Tam Hui Ying, Executive Director of Asylum Access Malaysia, and we are discussing the recent um, introduction of the Tracking Refugees Information System, also known as TRIS, um, nationwide for all UNHCR cardholders and asylum seekers in Malaysia, and the wider ramifications of such a move for the safety and protection of refugees. We'll be right back after a quick break on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. 
Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Joining me on the show today is Tam Hui Ying, Executive Director of Asylum Access Malaysia, and we are discussing the recent nationwide introduction of the Tracking Refugees Information System, also known as TRIS, for all UNHCR um, cardholders here in Malaysia. Now, before the break, you know, we sort of, um, Hui Ying broke down what um, the system is, how it works, and also the broader concerns over the impact of such a system on, um, especially on the safety and security of refugees in Malaysia, considering that, you know, Malaysia does not have a legal framework to protect refugees. Um, under our laws, refugees are seen as undocumented migrants. Um, and so, you know, we we're talking about how there are, there are a lot of questions that remains um, unanswered at the moment, right? But um, Hui Ying, if we sort of dive more into the details that, um, that we do know based on the website, um, you know, I saw that another key reason for Tris was to, and I quote, monitor and track the activities to ensure the safety of the country. Um, and this is from the MyRC website. I guess what circumstances would justify that need to track the whereabouts of refugees? Okay, so maybe I'll just sort of address that, that, that statement itself, right? And mm. just sort of maybe highlight just how problematic, um, you know, that statement is um, ensuring the safety of the country. I feel that like it's very important to to note that the the, the sort of framing um, that this, this that this sentence uh, puts us in, right? It's it it sort of frames uh, refugees uh, as uh, almost like a security threat, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to people who are in need of protection, um, who we know um, is the definition of sort of refugees, right? And in doing so, it sort of justifies and enables the continued violation of rights. Um, uh, of refugees and asylum seekers. This kind of language um, together with this sort of like surveillance system, right? As you mentioned, monitor and track really dehumanizes um, uh, refugees and asylum seekers, um, people who have been through um, so much, uh, who have survived persecution and harm. Um, and and it, it really creates this sort of uh, fear. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and really um, adds to the hardship that, that refugees and asylum seekers are already facing here. So I think that it's, it's very important for us to, you know, uh, find this balance between knowing who is in the country uh, and providing protection for, 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 for marginalised communities here. So I think that the, the, the framing is, is extremely problematic. Um, so it doesn't have to be about... Um, you know, monitoring and tracking and ensuring the safety of the country. But if you're saying that it's to know, manage, support, provide protection, uh, then that makes sense. So if we think about how data is collected um, in Malaysia, mm -hmm. right? And, and why it's important for us to know who is in Malaysia, um, what our data is. A lot of it is around budgeting and planning, right? And so if, if the data is being utilised in that, in that sense, and it is uh, utilized in an ethical way. It's utilized to, to think about what protections, how we can improve protections from refugees. Then I think that um, that makes sense. But I think the biggest concern here is the sort of intent and the motive uh, and the languaging uh, here, right? Mm -hmm. This sort of position, uh, this stigmatization of, of, of refugees by um, almost framing them as uh, people who are a threat to mm -hmm. our country and our safety, um, this almost sort of like making them sound like they are criminals when they are not, 
um, you know, creating this sort of image that we need to keep an eye on them, uh, which I think is, is very harmful. So in answer to your question about kind of under what circumstances would, would data uh, about, you know, people in our country would like, would sort of like make, would make sense. I would say, you know, if we're talking about, you know, budgeting, we're talking about planning, we're talking about how we can provide better protections. We're talking about knowing that the data is going to be treated in an ethical manner. Um, and certain and and to me, it doesn't feel like you know this is the this is the intention at all mm. uh, of 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 Tris. Yeah. So this is language that's coming from the authorities, right? How does that in turn um, impact public perception towards refugees? Considering that you know we have seen an increase in xenophobia towards refugees here in Malaysia. Yeah. So I I, I do think that language like this, especially from people with authority. Um, it has has a massive impact, right? Um, I think we've seen sort of, particularly in the last two years, um, you know, with COVID and sort of uh, with the lockdowns, um, really an, an, an increase in sort of, of xenophobia. Um, in particular, you know, we've, we've seen sort of these spikes uh, in targeted attacks um, really happening at the same time that we're seeing certain campaigns uh, being pushed out. Um, if you think about, you know, some of these posters that have been put out about, oh, you know, um, these refugees are violating our borders, you know, we need to protect our borders from refugees. So all of these sort of state, you know, sponsored, um, supported sort of campaigns, you know, we've really seen sort of um, how that has uh, led to an, an, an increase uh, in, in sort of targeted uh, attacks. And, and, and I want to sort of highlight that you know, these kind of things are not happening just online. Mm-hmm. Um, it's having very, very real life consequences, right? We have seen um, sort of, um, you know, we've received reports of refugees and asylum seekers being evicted from places that they're staying. Um, we've, seen, we've heard about reports of threats of physical harm, death threats, um, you know, harassments, all of that we've really seen um, sort of increased uh, incidences as a result of these targeted, uh, you know, uh, campaigns um, and, and negative, you know, this riling of negative sentiments against refugees and asylum seekers. Um, and so, um, you know, language matters um, and, and, and it certainly matters um, who's using what language uh, and, and how. Hmm. All right. So if we move on to another aspect of TRIS, right, it's said to also offer um, opportunities for employment for refugees if they do register for an, for a MyRC. Um, and this is said to be subject to the government's approval based on the website. Now, I know refugee rights groups have long been lobbying for refugees to be given the formal right to work, right, so that they can support themselves because otherwise they have no um, legal means to do so. So is this potentially a step forward? Yeah. So um, I, I think everything sort of needs to be put in uh, context. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll just start by saying that, you know, this discussion around granting right to work for refugees has been going on for years mm-hmm. and across different governments. But to date, nothing has really materialized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the question is uh, to ask is like, why is that the case, right? And I think clearly there is a lack of political will. Um, because, um, I mean, if we look at sort of the existing legal frameworks, um, there is uh, there is the possibility of granting the right to work within the existing legal frameworks without needing to introduce a separate system mm. like this um, and a separate sort of documentation. 
Um, and also, I think it's important to sort of scrutinize what they are saying uh, through Tris, right? Um, the website does say, you know, opportunity to work. Uh, it does not say, uh, it's not definitive. Mm -hmm. We don't know what this right to work looks like. And again, it says subject to permission of government and ability of individual, which is very, very vague. So, um, you know, again, uh, there is no sort of like guarantee on this sort of right to work. And also, what is the framing of TRIS, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when TRIS was uh, sort of uh, reintroduced, I would say, um, the focus was more on, oh, we need to know where they are for the safety of our country. It isn't, oh, um, we were introducing this, you know, the right to work and this would be part of that. So I think when we sort of scrutinize all of these different things together, it really makes you question whether or not, um, you know, what the intention is and whether or not this is actually in fact going to materialize. Um, so it, it's true that, you know, of course, um, the right to work is, is extremely important and, and, and Asylum Access Malaysia has been advocating for the right to work both nationally and um, globally as well, you know, for refugees. And of course, it's a, it's a, it's a, as you mentioned, it's an extremely important right because, um, you know, it then enables sort of other rights, um, you know, supports refugees in accessing other rights. But I think it's important for us to ask how it is going to be implemented. So I think that a lot of the discussion is around, yes, right to work, right to work, right to work. But I think it's very important for us to also ask how is the right to work going to be implemented? Mm -hmm. um, because I think in the past, we've seen sort of, you know, a right to work being um, implemented in a very, uh, like, confined way. So usually limited to a particular industry, a small number uh, of refugees from a particular uh, group. And, and we need to move beyond sort of pilots. Uh, and we can't, um, and, you know, we really need to sort of ask, what the right to work looks like because it shouldn't be that shouldn't be the way that um you know the right to work is implemented because otherwise then it really wouldn't sort of bring about the benefits um to the community or to malaysia um uh, that 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 the right to work um would right mm. um so in terms of uh like some recommendations uh that 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 we've provided is um to look at um existing frameworks and protections so it is extremely important to ensure that labor protections, existing labor protections uh, are, pro uh, are enforced for refugees and asylum seekers. Because I think that, um, you know, you can't have the right to work without ensuring that the work is decent and that um, it comes together with what we call work rights, which is like labor protections um, uh, and the sort of enabling environment for work. Um, so, you know, ensuring that refugees are able to seek redress for labour violations with very clear policy guidelines and trainings across uh, departments uh, on filing and handling of labour dispute cases. Um, so it's important uh, to, um, so on the right to work, and, and uh, amend relevant laws and policies um, that will provide refugees and asylum seekers uh, a right to stay. So the right to stay is important together with the right to work because uh, as we know, you know, refugees uh, are people who have fled their country and they cannot return. Mm -hmm. So the right to stay is critical, um, I think, in any scheme um, that discusses uh, the right to work. Um, and then, as I've mentioned, um, you know, what does the access to, to, to labour look like? So it really, sh there shouldn't really be too much of a restriction on, um, you know, what sort of industries. It should be across sort of industries and geographical locations and all refugee asylum seeker groups in Malaysia. Um, and also, I think this question around what social security benefits uh, and insurance um, would be included in such a scheme. 
Um, and I think that to get to the kind of right to work um, uh, framework mm-hmm. that would, you know, be um, ideal, um, I think it's very important that there, there are discussions between, you know, the government, UNHCR, most importantly, the affected persons, which, which is the refugee and asylum seekers, right? Um, and also civil society. So different stakeholders have to come together to be able to discuss what this right to work sort of uh, framework looks like. Um, so I think all of those things need to sort of be in place. And these are things for us to sort of consider mm. uh, as we think about about the right to work. Yeah. Mm. So if we want a policy to be effective, to be implementable, right, to eventually benefit the society, it needs to be something that's discussed with all the relevant stakeholders, not just a um, top-down policy that's implemented with no consideration as to what's happening on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. And the process has to be transparent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right now, you know, all we are hearing is just there's a guideline we are discussing. What exactly are you discussing? What does the guideline look like? Um, I think that it's important to be uh, transparent about these policies, especially if it's going, going to um, have such a huge impact uh, on, on, on the refugee and asylum seeker community. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So now if we take a look at the data that's been collected, right? Earlier, Huying, you listed down quite a lot of the different um, sort of um, information and data that's being collected through the process that the system is being managed by a third party company, right? What are the potential pitfalls that need to be considered there? You know, what are the safeguards needed considering that this is a very vulnerable commun- community? Yeah, um, so I think just just as a start, I think a lot of these questions around data protection and privacy, right? Like how secure is this database? What is this company's history with data? How is it going to be managed? How is it going to be secure? Um, and I think that a lot of these questions around data sort of ties back in with this sort of non-consultation, no transparency, mm-hmm. right? So we have UNHCR that already has the data of, of, of the refugee community. And we do know that they have very strict um, data protection uh, guidelines around that, right? But we do not know anything about this third party. So again, the question is, why not just work with UNHCR? Why are you creating this separate uh, parallel system and then you're getting a third party um, company that we know nothing about to do that? Um, I mean, I think that the risk around um, you know third party companies is um, quite clear to, to, to most of us. I think the first thing is the concerns around corruption. Um, I think we don't have to look very far. We can, you know, sort of just go back to, you know, the migrant worker scheme and all these different headlines we've been reading about how third-party agents um, have been involved with, um, you know, corruption-related um, um, sort of issues and how that has impacted um, that, that scheme. Um, we don't know how the money is going to be collected. We don't know how the money is going to be utilized. Um, so those kind of concerns around sort of corruption. And also, I think, the risk of corruption, right? Like, I mean, it, you know, if it's going to be by a third party, what if it's sold and traded? You know, what does that mean for uh, refugees and asylum seekers? Um, then I think the very real concern is around exploitation and misuse of data, right? And, and, and it's very real for, for refugees, right? As I've mentioned, what if the data is being misused to fuel xenophobia, targeting refugees uh, and, and, and where they are? Or, for example, refugees are people who are being like persecuted, right, mm-hmm. by their own government. So, what if the information gets, like, somehow uh, ends up in, in in the hands of the government? Then what happens? Then it's a very real security risk, right? Um, it's kind of, these kind of questions are very important, right? I mean, 
let's just think back to um, you know the whole Mysore debacle, right? As Malaysians, we were so outraged. We're like, how can our data be utilized in this way? Like there were all these questions about it. So I invite people to to use the same kind of of of, of you know logic and passion um, to press um, and question um, you know these sort of da- uh, data data concerns um, regarding regarding Tris because it it is exactly the same. Like I mean, the the risks are there, except. You know the risk is even greater for refugees and asylum seekers because they are already very marginalized and vulnerable in our country. Mm-hmm. They are already targeted, um, and so I think that it raises even more concerns for us. Mm. All right, um, let's go for one more quick break, Queen, and continue our discussion. I've just got a couple more questions um, to ask you when we come back. I'm speaking today to Tam Huying, Executive Director of Asylum Access Malaysia, and we are discussing the status of refugees here in Malaysia, um, especially following the introduction of TRIS, the Tracking Refugees Information System. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su. And joining me on the show today is Tam Hui Ying, Executive Director of Asylum Access Malaysia. And we are discussing the introduction of the Tracking Refugees Information System, also known as TRIS, for all UNHCR cardholders here in Malaysia and the wider ramifications of such a system on the lives and livelihoods of refugees here in the country. And they are already a very vulnerable community, um, considering that you know they don't have legal protection in Malaysia because we don't have a framework for recognizing refugees in the country. We are not a signatory to the UN Refugee Convention, so there are a lot of questions that remains um, unanswered. So Huing, you know, we've been talking quite extensively about the questions that we have, right, about the introduction of the system nationwide. But um, you know, you've raised these concerns. Other refugee rights groups and activists have raised these concerns, but the TRIS system remains in place at the moment. So what does this mean for refugees in Malaysia moving moving forward? You know, what are the what are the consequences if they don't register for MyRC? Yeah, so I think that it's important to note that um, you know, any registration system that's implemented for monitoring purposes must not create any protection risk for those registr- uh, uh, f- a risk for those uh, who are registering um, and others who are registered with UNHCR. So, um, you know, really rather than developing a parallel system, KDN should be working together with um, UNHCR and in particular, you know, sort of adopting their recommendations on how they could sort of work together on this um, sort of database. And also, you know, it's important to sort of ensure that that any system that's implemented is looking, um, is able to look at all the protection concerns of refugees in a holistic way. Uh, and I think more importantly, um, this should be done uh, in consultation with uh, the refugees and asylum seekers, um, you know, who are the people who are most affected and, and really affected persons should have a say uh, on policies um, that are implemented. Um, and so moving forward, you know, of course, um, you know, as I've mentioned earlier, um, you know, it, it, you know, this announcement was made sort of very suddenly um, and there are still a lot of questions surrounding it. Um, and so we're quite concerned about, you know, this sort of moving forward in the iteration that it currently is in. Um, and, you know, we urge um, the government to uh, reconsider um, pushing out the system in this manner. Mm. 
All right. Um, so then if we take a bigger picture, look at this issue of the um, of what refugees have been facing, not just in Malaysia, but regionally, globally as well. You know, the securitization of refugees and of course, migrants to a larger extent, right? This isn't new, but are you seeing certain trends in terms of how countries are treating and perceiving refugees? Well, especially when we are sort of seeing, we are, we are reading reports of an increasing influx of refugees across several countries around the world, right? So I feel like the, the sort of um, this debate between sort of uh, security, border security versus the human rights sort of perspective um, has always been there. Uh, and, and I think that um, governments in general have always tended towards sort of uh, more arguments around sovereignty and, you know, border protection, um, which is unfortunate because um, I think that then what that does is that it really skews the perspective uh, of, of of, of refugees, right? And we're, we're not able to see them uh, as people in need of protection. Um, and I think that that's a worrying trend. I think what needs to happen is to really focus on, on you know, sort of the human rights aspect of things, um, to really uh, look at refugees as, as, as people in, in need of protection and really go back to that and really, really harp on that. I think that that's, that's, that's very important. The fear is then, what it does is it sort of erodes the protection uh, framework mm -hmm. uh, for, for that, that that already exists for refugees, and and that's a very um, concerning sort of trend. Mm. What are the consequences? How do all these you know policies and language then translate into consequences for refugees, whether you know they're facing that in transit or destination countries? Yeah, so then I, I think what happens is then we see this real, um, you know, as I've mentioned, right, this sort of almost criminalization uh, of, of refugees um, just for existing. You know, it's almost this sort of, this dehumanizing of, of refugees. And this sort of enables the, the perpetuation of the violation of their rights um, because then they are sort of like not seen, right? Um, so in people's mind, um, oh, well, uh, these are people who have committed a crime when actually, no, it's not a crime to cross the border. Mm -hmm. it, it, shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be a crime um, to, to seek asylum, you know. Um, everyone has that right to, to seek that safety and protection. Um, and so it sort of enables, you know, governments to basically do away with um, their obligations and rights uh, towards refugees um, and asylum seekers, right? Because um, if you think about it, like, um, even in a country like Malaysia, for example, right? Yeah, we may not be a signatory to the UN Convention on Refugees, um, but we nevertheless have, um, you know, are bound by international obligations like the right to seek asylum and non-refoulement. And, and that should apply regardless of their, their status. Mm, and and I think on top of that, you know, Malaysia is currently a member of the UN Human Rights Council, right? I think that further Absolutely. adds importance for us to lead by example. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's important to 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 sort of to call that out, to, to be like, look, we are in the UN Human Rights Council. Um, we need to be setting an example. Um, we shouldn't be violating the rights of, of, of refugees uh, in, in our own home country while sort of in the international arena be talking about holding others accountable for their for human rights violations. So, yeah, I think it's important to call out that hypocrisy. Mm. And to wrap up our discussion, Hui, would you have a final message about how us as individuals or in the community, how can we do better when talking about refugee rights? 
Yeah, so I think one of the things that um, that happens very often, uh, especially when it comes to sort of, I wouldn't say just refugees and asylum seekers, but any, uh, like, you know, even migrants, uh, right, uh, non-Malaysians, the framing ha- is oftentimes like, you know, this sort of, oh, we need to protect our country, this sort of very nationalistic view, right, this sort of uh, us versus them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and I, I would like to invite us to sort of move from that narrative and really think about how can we move away from like a us versus them mentality to like this sort of solidarity and shared experiences, right? Because I think it's very important for us to realize just how interconnected our rights are as, uh, as, as people living in a country like Malaysia, right? If you violate the rights of certain people in Malaysia, it, there will be consequences and there will, um, like it won't just stop there, right? And so I think it's important for us to really understand um, how important it is um, for us to ensure um, a rights-respecting environment for all, not just some, uh, not just those who are Malaysians. I think it's also important for us to really understand, uh, take the time to, to read and understand who refugees are and why they are here. Uh, you know, understanding um, that like, you know, while we show our support and solidarity for countries like Ukraine and, and, and Palestine, you know, we need to be doing the same thing in Malaysia, right? Mm-hmm. We can't be violating rights of refugees here while talking about, you know, other countries. Um, and I think lastly, the, the thing to just remember is that um, really no one is illegal. You aren't, um, you know, that people shouldn't be, you know, marked as criminal just because of their documentation status or, or lack thereof. Um, so I think that, that's quite important for us to think about. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Hui Ying. I've been speaking to Tam Hui Ying, Executive Director of Asylum Access Malaysia, and we have discussed the introduction of TRIS, the Tracking Refugees Information System, and the wider impact of that on refugees' lives here in Malaysia, and how we really need to um, step back and take a look at why we are securitizing the issue of refugees when they are not a criminal threat to our country. Um, if you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.